0: Welcome to Weston Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. We are three weeks away from conference, and uh, okay, not everyone is uh, ready, apparently. Three weeks away from conference, and... We had our first lead team meeting uh, with all the volunteers this past Wednesday. We're about 50 people who are serving at the conference. And I just want to say, we have Salt and Light kids that that I know we just dismissed them. They saw the the announcement. Um, But parents, if you have not registered your children or yourselves, I would encourage you from um, 18 months up until grade 5, there's something for them during conference. Uh, so we just want to be very articulated and clear about that, that um, it's not just for adults and then you've got to figure out what to do with your kids. Here's what we're believing for for our children. It's not babysitting and it's not child care. Uh, you saw Pastor Megan, she's coming in as a guest speaker. She's going to work with our lead team of Weston Kids to minister at a level that our children need to, to be ministered to, which is different than me and you, but where they can encounter Jesus just as much as we will up here in the main room. And so this is our heart, um, that our children have an encounter that weekend as well. So I encourage you, sign up, and if you've been on the fence as an adult, uh, what are you waiting for? Um, this is a time where we're setting aside for God to move. We're saying, God, we've made room in our schedule, and we're hungry for more. And this morning, the message that God has put on my heart as we gear into this season, leading up to conference weekend, because I want us to be ready and expectant for God to do something. And the thing is, He doesn't just want to move at conference, but He wants to move in your life today. Amen? Amen. God is always ready and willing. It's us who has to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm here, God, and there's a purpose that you have for my life today. And with God's help, I want to speak to you on a message entitled, Counter Culture. Counter Culture. And this message was actually inspired by a message I shared with the youth. So if some of our youth are here, two Fridays ago, this, this message was born out of that Um, experience as we talk through some of these scriptures but the reality is if we are salt and light to this world because this is what Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 to 16 tells us practically speaking what does it look like practically speaking if we are salt and light to this world what does it look like well one of the ways I can kind of start to wrap my head around that idea is that we aren't called to fit in. We aren't called to fit in. We are called to stand out. And, you know, when you think about salt in a meal, right, you don't really, I mean, unless you really put a huge mountain, like, you can tell it's there, but the reality is when it's absent, that's when you notice it most, right? Now, light is a bit different because... If this is, uh, like, if we hit, can, can we actually do this, Cal? Can you kill all the lights in the sanctuary? Just, yeah, hit hit the big delete all. <laughs> Just release this, whatever scene is on. There we go. Everything, right, except for the back. Okay, there we go. There's some extra light, and I have the iPad shining on my face. But the reality is, when there's darkness... Now can you hit the lights back on for the setting we had? Right? It's evident what happened. We turned back the Check 1. There we go. Um But maybe we could make that part of it, right? So the light is more evident. And this is what you and I are called to. So if we are blending in with our environment, how salty are we and how bright are we, right? So we're not called to fit in, we're called to stand, say it, we're not called to fit in, we're called to stand out. And some of us, that makes us uncomfortable. For some of us, you're like, I just want to be invisible. And I get it. I get it. And I'm not saying you have to be the one to come and stand in front of everyone and share everything about yourself and about your life and with what you're going through and on and on and on. No, I'm just saying when God gives you the opportunity make sure you shine. When God puts you in a conversation, make sure that you are not just going with the flow, but that you stand, stand tall and stand firm on who you know you are. You know, and when we're talking about we're called to stand out, I'm not talking about like Lady Gaga in a meat dress, you know, like stand out. I remember, like, people will go far and above and beyond just to attract attention. Listen, as light, you don't have to try hard, right? If you know that the mosquitoes, they it's like the bugs go to the light. And, and the reality is, if you are light, people will know, and they'll find you. If you are salty, people will tell, because you add the God flavor that is missing from this world. Now... I have to confess something. I didn't always have the confidence that I have today. Uh, In fact, it was 1993 in grade six. Can we put up the picture of the shoes that I really wanted? Can anyone relate? It was 1993 and one of my friends in grade six, elementary school in Quebec had Reebok pumps. And I was like, mom, mom, I need these shoes, mom, and she had no clue, like we didn't have phones, and you know, just scan the whatever, I, you know, like, so we went to a store, I think it was called Dalva, and when she saw the shoes, and then the price tag on the shoes, she literally dropped her purse, and said, there's no way I'm going to buy that, but of course, I learned to be persistent like every good child is and and so I was like mom please you know so we went to this other store a couple of weeks later and I saw this exact pair thank thankful for Google had the purple trim and everything it had the ERS I was like it has the airbags mom and then underneath here too you could see right through and it had like six of them I thought this is awesome and we found them on sale They were $130 in 1993. (laughs) So you do the math. For me, I was like, Mom, I want them. I didn't understand the price and all of that. So I don't know what convinced my mom, but she... Anyone ever heard of layaway? I don't know if they still do that, but she said, Don't tell your father or else he's going to kill me. (laughs) Verbatim, that's what she said. And she put the first deposit on the shoes... And then she said, in two weeks, when I get my next paycheck, I'm going to come back and uh, pay the rest. And the store lady said, she goes, that's fine. That's okay. I tell you, I was the happiest kid in the world. The one part that I never thought of is, how is she going to tell my dad, like, how did we afford the shoes? I, I don't know what happened there. But here's what happened with the shoes. I got them. And guess what? As any good sixth grader does, I got those Reebok pumps, and I was playing soccer with them in the schoolyard, getting them dirty and muddy, and they lasted six months. And literally the shoe, the sole of the back where those airbags were, it fell apart and everything like that. And I remember my mom, like, I had $130 shoes on sale with a $20 (laughs) tracksuit. because we couldn't afford, you know, the real soccer tracksuit that my team had. So she found this one at a store called Croteau. And it was like, you know, where you buy like the $5 jogging pants. Well, I got the $20 tracksuit that lasted me about two weeks. But the whole idea is, right, I wanted to fit in. And I wanted the shoes. And my mom, you know, to make her son happy, did whatever she could because she wanted me to be happy. But the end result was they didn't last long. It was just an appearance that the shoes I so desperately wanted, they were six months and literally I couldn't even wear them anymore. I cut out the airbag. I tore the shoe open and I kept that inside part. So I was like, this is really cool. And I can't really use the shoe anymore. So I kept the pump part on the inside of it. And you know, when we look at Scripture, and we're going to look at a bunch of Scripture today. Why? Because it's, I'm not sharing my opinion. It's important that we understand what the Word says about me, what the Word says about us. And so 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 18 says this, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers or those who are unequally yoked. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And here's verse 17. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. But I I want you to note verse 17. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them. From them not says pastor John not says my my mentor or my Sunday school teacher says the Lord so we are not called to fit in we're called to be separate and what the scripture is telling us you know be ye separate in the King James Version and it's not a popular message today it's not why well because you'll sound dumb you'll sound like the only loser who shares that opinion But you know what? I'd rather be mocked in the sight of God, but have my heavenly Father look down and say, With you, I'm well pleased, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know whose approval you seek. In grade 6, I know I was looking to be just like my friends. And can I just be so honest as to say this? I was telling my sister uh, on Monday when I was at her house, I was like, i can't like in grade seven because in quebec where i grew up you start high school grade seven to eleven i was like trying to find my identity you know before i was the oldest in the school now i'm the youngest and i said i remember saying the f word i do i'm just being very honest and i knew it was not a good word to say and i remember in my head saying i'm just gonna say it because my friends say it now in grade six we were like i was chubby and innocent I lost, I grew a foot, 12 inches into grade seven. And it's almost like we grew up in two months of being home and then went to high school. And I remember swearing and knowing it was wrong, but I did it to fit in. And I went home and I said, hey, dad, mom, I I said these words and they were not good. And my dad was like, yeah, don't say that again. (laughs) You know, I was like, no, I won't. And from that point on, obviously there were some bumps in the road, But in high school, people called me church boy. And I took it as a compliment. (laughs) I was like, you know it, church boy. But you know what? I was also in grade 11, when we were graduating, voted like overall best. Not, Not because of grades, although they were pretty decent. Overall best in character. That people, like they looked at me and knew something was different. I don't know you know, how they would define it, but they, they voted it overall best. And, and I tell Priscilla, and she laughs because she doesn't believe me. <laughs> you got a good, good man in me, Fris. <laughs> but the reality is, there are seasons, and it's okay, especially if you have young children, teenagers, right? They're learning, they're figuring out, they're trying to find their identity in Christ, And I hope it's in Christ. Parents, if you do your part in bringing them and in raising them in the house of the Lord, teaching them at home, because it's not solely the church's responsibility. They're only with us for a fraction of the time. They spend way more time at home and way more time at school. And we have to ensure, listen, they're on a journey. But we need to make sure that we are pointing them in the right direction. Amen? And so... It's okay to have, even as an adult, you hear this message today. Hear the word of the Lord. That maybe you're here, but you've been trying to just be like everyone else. It's been a popularity contest, or it's been a comparison game. Where it's like, they do this, I need to do this. They... Um, did their landscaping in the front of the house. Now we're going to do our landscape. Oh, they renovated their kitchen. We have to renovate our kitchen. And we start doing this thing just to compete with the Joneses. Well, guess what? Comparison is the thief of joy. And if you try to live your life fitting in and doing everything that everyone does, you will live a miserable life and you will be disappointed with the outcome. Those shoes lasted me six months. I have to move on, but I need you to understand where we're going today. We are called not to fit in, but to be separate. As believers, we're called out. So if that's true, then I'm not necessarily called to be a follower. That means as a believer, I'm called to be a leader in my generation. And for some of you, this is hard because you're not a natural born leader. Guess what? Neither am I. Neither am I. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So it's, it's way beyond who you are. It's who God is inside of you. That's what gave Peter boldness to step up and preach his first sermon, even though he was the same one who denied Christ three times. And so today, I'm not talking about what do you think you can do, but the question rather is what can the Holy Spirit do to you once you yield yourself to him? And that's the beautiful picture of being set apart. And John 17, verse 16 says that we are in the world, but not of the world. And my great uh, concern or fear for the church today is that we've kind of lost or blurred the line. You know, we understand the scripture where Jesus said we're, we're in this world, but not of the world. But I think too many Christians live like we are in this world. Like this is who I am. This is what life is all about. And we forget that in His Word, He's called us to be separate from the world. And today, we're going to actually spend time looking at the life of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. I just want to read a couple of verses. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. We honor God's Word at Weston. If you're able to, would you stand with me? We're going to read a couple of verses. Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to start reading at verse 6. We'll also have it on the screen in the New Living Translation. And here's what it says. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the King. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for what you want to speak deep inside our hearts. And Lord, I pray that every heart would be open and receptive. Lord, would you uh, remove every distraction in the name of Jesus. And Father, would you give us a clear and attentive focus this morning. Anoint me as I speak and communicate your word, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The interesting thing about Old Testament leaders, when I say Old Testament, if you didn't grow up in church, I'm not talking about old people. I'm talking about the first uh, part of the Bible, the first half, if you will. Old Testament leaders succeeded as long as they stayed intimately connected with God. I'm going to say it again. Old Testament leaders succeeded as long as they stayed intimately connected to God. And Daniel is no exception. You see, Daniel and his friends were roughly 14 years old. They were living as captives in Babylon. They were taken out of Judah, the tribe of Judah. They were brought here. And uh, Daniel 1.7 says that they were given Babylonian names. Babylonian names. And I want to just break down the why. Why were they given Babylonian names? You see, all four of these Hebrew names had meanings connected to faith in God. And so Daniel, for example, is God is my judge. So there's a direct tie. My name, Jonathan, gift from God. I know what my name means, and I know what it's tied to. So all four of their Hebrew names had meanings connected to their faith in God. And the boys' names were changed as a way of encouraging them to forget the God and traditions of their homeland And become conformed to the ways of the gods, the ways and the gods, excuse me, small g, of Babylon. And so it's a way of assimilation. Yes, you understand? So Daniel, God is my judge. The suffix of Daniel's name and Mishael's name, we have this on the screen, is L, right? The ending L. And it refers to Elohim, one of the names of God, of the God of Israel. Then the other two guys, Azariah and Hananiah, carry the suffix Yah, and it's short for Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And you could, as reference, check Isaiah 26, verse 4. And their intent in giving them Babylonian names is so that they could forget the one true living God, And they said, now that they're in Babylon, we're going to make them like us. We're going to give them names like us, like our gods that refer to our gods instead of their God. And they said, we're going to feed them our food, and we're going to make them like us. They they were very selective in who they would pick. They would pick well-to-do men. You could find the list in chapter 1 of Daniel. Um, so they were specifically hand selected now to be trained for a period of three years to be assimilated and trained and then could be used in the Babylonian Empire. It's amazing how they can do this. But I love what Daniel says in verse 8. And here's what he said we read it. But Daniel was determined. Or another translation said, he resolved, he had a made-up mind. In other words, it doesn't matter where you take me, I know who I am, and I know who my God is, and this shall never change about me. And so he says, listen, we're not going to eat the food of the king. We're we're not going to do that. The guy who's overseeing them, long story short, says, listen, I'm going to get in trouble if you don't listen. And they, they end up convincing him to allow them to try it for 10 days. And what's amazing is that they don't eat the king's menu. They eat their own consisting of vegetables. And then it says that after 10 days, they were stronger and healthier than everyone else who ate all of the other food that the king wanted them to eat, the good food, the good stuff. And what's amazing is like 10 days of this period, of this process, but it said that they were, as a result, 10 times more capable than all the other people. Isn't it amazing? When you stand firm in who you are, in your intimate connection to God, that you can succeed, even though you're a captive, even though you're held hostage. And this is what Daniel's context was. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Remember, we read it, 2 Corinthians, be ye separate. That we are called to be different, we're not called to conform. And James is reminding that, us again of that reality, that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. Can I have friends who are unsaved? That 100%. How else are we going to win the lost? How else are we going to share the good news of Jesus Christ? The difference is when you are no different than them. That's the distinguishing point. Daniel was determined, we said. He was resolute and resolved. And the reality of their story, and I encourage you to read further on in the book of Daniel, but we see that when they take a stand, for their God and what they believe, God always blesses them. God always blesses them. But it doesn't mean that they don't face opposition. And what happens is in chapter 3, right? there's a a big gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has built. And the, the instructions are, whenever you hear the music, you have to bow to this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, guess what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. So you could only imagine how they stick out like a sore thumb. In Daniel chapter 3, you can read it later. The reality is, they're like, why aren't these guys, like, we're going to give you one more chance. And they're like, uh-uh, not going to do it. And so they have no choice. They have to throw them into the, fir- the, the fiery furnace and they turned up the heat so hot that when the guards went to throw them in they themselves died but guess what when the three were put in their hair wasn't burned their clothes weren't burned they did not even smell like smoke the bible says and they came and by the way when when they were looking in they said didn't we throw three why do we see four the idea is the application is that there's another in the fire That he's the God who goes before you, the God who's behind you, but he's the God who's right beside you. So don't be afraid to take a firm stand for what is true and for what is right. And if if you are faithful to do what God has asked us to do in his word, you'll see that you will never stand alone. You might be alone physically in the situation, but you're not alone jesus said i will be with you even to the end of the age daniel chapter 3 they face opposition daniel chapter 6 daniel has his own experience and they pass a law now king darius in chapter 6 and and darius and daniel were friends they were friends and and daniel was of great use and of great help and the reality is the other people, because haters going to hate, we know that. But they said, how are we going to get this guy? He's so noble and honest and righteous and true. How can we trap him? They said, I know. He prays to his God still three times a day. And maybe if we can get Darius, King Darius, to pass a law, then eventually Daniel's going to pray and we could trap him. We can catch him. It's exactly what happens. Daniel hears about the law, but guess what he does? He goes to his place as usual. He opens the window as usual. If it was you and me, we would do it maybe a bit differently. But the reality is, he's, he's, not, he's not threatened. And long story short, we have to move on because I told you we have stuff to get through this morning. Long story short, Daniel's praying. And they come and they see and then they report him. Daniel's arrested, thrown into the lion's den. King Darius is heartbroken because this is his buddy now, but he broke the law. And it says that he was sorry he even made that law. They tricked him into doing it. And then Daniel's thrown in. And in the morning, King Darius comes. He's like, Daniel, are you still alive? Are you still there? He's like, yep, all good. I'm good. We're good. He's like, oh, praise your God. Praise the God of of Daniel. He He stood firm. He stood firm, unwavering. Some of us, we fear the gossip in the workroom or the lunchroom. And so we conform and we bend and we say whatever needs to be said so we could, you know, be in the good books. So we're not the subject of gossip. Who cares what the world thinks? Who cares? And I say that like that because I love you. You know who else loves you? Your Heavenly Father. And there's no other approval that I seek. I don't seek man's approval. But I seek the approval of my heavenly father. And Daniel stands strong and he's faithful. And God shows up. You know what King Darius does? Because he, he realizes what, what that group of people did. He throws them into in the pit. By the way, not just them, but their wives and children. I can't twist what the scripture says about that part, as scary and and crazy as it sounds, but the punishment was severe. What can we learn from that? Daniel didn't lift a finger to his accusers. Daniel didn't try to justify himself. The law was the law, but he was faithful to what God and his word said. He did what he was called to do. Listen, there's always opposition But at the same time, I want you to be encouraged to know that there is also always opportunity. There's always going to be opposition when you take a firm stand. Why? Because we have a faithful opponent. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The same was true in Daniel's day, right? And Babylon is a great, uh, we can draw a great parallel, if you will, to the work of the devil in our lives. In Babylon, they're trying to change their names, trying to assimilate them into their culture. What does the devil seek to do for you and for me? Just get comfortable. Just get comfortable with your environment, with the world. Act, you know, just fit in. Don't be different. And if it's almost like a numbing down of the gospel, if you will, in our own personal lives, where the conviction of the Holy Spirit and of His Word is, is just reduced to just a mere suggestion for our lives and when we live like that we reduce the power of the gospel and we reduce the opportunities that God wants to give us so opposition though if you're facing opposition don't be scared don't be alarmed maybe you are doing something right maybe you are living different maybe you're taking a stand for Christ and others are bothered by it and, and, and I just want to encourage you, though the opposition is faithful, the opportunity is faithful as well. And you be faithful when you have those moments. Daniel was faithful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were faithful. They stood up. Matthew 28, we get to the Great Commission. And, and I know we've been hitting this a lot. But, but I feel like God is not done with us in this. We know the Great Commission, and it's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. It's something that we are commanded in Scripture by Jesus to do. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This is Matthew 28, verse 19 now. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. We said this already I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. We know this is the Great Commission. We can maybe recite this by heart, some of us, but the, the reality is what does it look like? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then not only what does it look like for us, but how do we do it? How? And and the question is, how can we disciple nations? How can we? Well, the way I can approach answering that question is this. You can't do it by being ordinary. You can't do it by being regular. And you can't do it by just being a follower. How can you disciple nations if you're just a follower? Remember, we said this. We're called not to fit in, but to stand out. Therefore, we're also called to lead. And so if we are to be able to disciple nations, that means we have to receive this anointing to be influencers as well. That I'm called... Not just to be different, but to influence. Salt and light, we've said this already, they influence their environment. Salt and light make a difference whenever they're present. You and I have to be the difference whenever we're present somewhere. We're called to be influencers, and you cannot get around it. If you're a believer, it's not just my job. Say, oh, I want you to meet this person. and Pastor, I want you to come here. I want you to come to my workplace. I mean, no, you are called to be an influencer, to, to change the environment that you are in. This is what God has called us to do. And I know some of us, this is stretching your faith. It's stretching your understanding of the call of, of a disciple, the calling of a Christian. But you have to influence. Let's talk about work. It got quiet because no one wants to go to work, maybe. Or no one wants to influence their work environment. And I know some, I don't live in a bubble either, by the way. I know I work at the church, but I've, I've done my time in the marketplace and I, I, you know, to be very honest, it was working at FedEx where it, it brought me to the edge of like it pushed my buttons that I didn't even know I had internally, where the line of sanctification was was right. At, I was right at the edge, where I, it was either my sanctification or the box in my truck. Thankfully, I chose the box. Some of you say, "Why the? Why do the packages come destroyed?" <laughs> right? It was either me or the box. But the reality is, we have to be the light. We have to be salt in the workplace. We can't come all bitter and upset and closed off and leave me alone. But when we understand that you might be the only Jesus, when I say that, I'm not saying that you are God or you are Jesus, but I'm saying in you and through you, they might never pick up the word of God to know to know who He is, but they'll read your life, and, and it'll be one of two things: I can see the salt and light all over you, or uh, I don't want I don't want what you what you have. And when we have the good news, people people are hungry for the truth. People want and they're desperate for hope, for the real Jesus. They're desperate and they're crying out. They might not know it, but this is, this is what the world needs. And they'll try to fill it with every single thing. Money, sex, drugs, pornography, relationship, fake relationship, adultery, all of these things. But really their craving is the love of, of the Father. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We know the gospel message here, but we need to be willing to take it to our work. We need to be able to take it to our friends that don't know Jesus. You know, we are are here as a byproduct of someone else's work, I'm sure, in your lives. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a, a family member that brought you to the Lord. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent. Now, there are others that are in need of that same relationship and influence. And we can't skate around it. We can't say it's someone else's responsibility. If you are a disciple of Jesus, it is your mandate. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You can't do that unless you accept the responsibility that you are called to be an influence wherever you go. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. And verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I'm going to say it again. Don't copy... The behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for, your, for, for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, on that note of don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I said this to our young people on on that Friday. You know, the interesting thing is even in church world. Um, we copy a lot of things from the world. What do I mean by that? You know, whether it's a business structure or strategy or model, whether it's the creativity in the way we communicate. Because, by the way, it's not just in church where people stand at a podium and and give a talk. We're doing much more than this today, I pray, right? Um, and this isn't a stage, by the way. This is a platform. It's different. A stage elevates a person, but a platform is used to, to share something. And, and as we stand here in church, um, you know, if, if this ever becomes a show about a person, then we've missed the boat. And I'm not ashamed or afraid to say that. But this platform is used to elevate one name, the name of Jesus. And this is what we're called to do. But we're not to copy. You know, when you stop and think for a minute about the nature and character of God, that he created this world. Think about it in its grandeur, the beauty, the splendor. When you think about that, how can I be satisfied living a copy-and-paste life? Think about it. When God, who, who dreamed about each and every one of us to be different and unique, Created just like the snowflakes, like we understand it about snowflakes—they're not one the same. But when it comes to us, we want to be like everyone else. Be who God made you to be. And if we tap into who God is, my prayer for us is that He would unlock the creative, the create, the creative juices, if you will, of heaven. That it wouldn't be the world coming up with innovative, creative ways to communicate or to to do things and reach more people, that it would be the church at the forefront, at the cutting edge, that we would say, no, 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 the world has it wrong. Because here's a strategy that the world has never seen. You know, we have to lean on our creator more than on the created. And, And for some of us, you know, that's the challenge, is that when we're left to our own vices, and we see it over and over in Scripture, is that man... We, as created beings, we have a tendency to, to always begin to worship the created over the creator. I don't know if you, if you realize that. Worship is such an important part. Music, right? The reality is that Satan, Lucifer, was the choir director in heaven. And so he understands the importance of music. And it's said that he would awaken the dawn with worship in heaven. But now he lost that place, and he was cast out. But guess what? Why is music, like, you don't even have to know the song, but music does something to us. It's a universal language. You can hear music, and you just start tapping your foot. Because there's a pulse and there's a rhythm, because we are deeply connected to music, that we are built with a rhythm maker called the heart. We have... The first instrument created our pipes that we can open up our mouth and sing. Now, you have to understand, in the context of worship, the devil will do everything he can to to make no distinction between worship and music. Careful. Careful. I remember I used to just listen to the music But I knew the words, even though I didn't think I did. And the reality is, we see so many Christians in the church with an anointing to sing. They start here on a platform, but then it becomes a stage. Instead of shining the light on Jesus, the light shines on them. And we were never meant to carry the weight of worship. Worship was always meant to be directed to God, not to a man. But if the devil can have his own party in his own way, he will twist and pervert the truth of, of what worship, we were created to worship, but he'll, he'll turn and twist it so that we think it's, we are deserving of worship. And in, in so doing, we're not standing firm on what we've been called to do. Worship music is supposed to be different. Worship music is supposed to have its own sound. Worship music is supposed to be directed only one way, to Him. And when we pray at Weston, release the sound of heaven on earth, guess what? That's a sound that the world should not recognize. Amen? Amen? It's a sound. That's why, church, when we gather to worship, we have to sing loud. We have to shout with a voice of triumph. Come on. We have to clap our hands. Why? Because we are releasing the sound of heaven on earth. And it has to be a sound that this world doesn't recognize. And so that's why worship is important. And some of us show up late thinking, I'm going to skip it. Guess what? Worship is not for us. It's not about my preference. I prefer when he leads versus when she leads. I prefer when this person um, doesn't sing or when that person does. I prefer these songs over those songs. My friend, our preferences don't matter because worship is not about you. We can't say, you know, I'm guilty of this too. I really enjoyed worship. (laughs) That means it's for me. If I enjoyed worship, that means it was for me, that I liked it. But worship is not about me enjoying it. The question is, did you worship? So not did you enjoy worship, but did you worship? Oh, we're, we're getting somewhere this morning. We have to get this. Worship is not for us. Worship is for Him. Is it wrong to enjoy church and to love worship? No. We, we were created for it. But, but the question we ask, I think, is wrong. When we say, did you enjoy it, let's change the question at Weston to, did, did I worship? Did you worship? Because that's what we're called to do. Come on, church. Weston has to be known for its worship. We're called to influence the world. At work, but at worship, as we worship. By the way, work is worship as well. Don't ever, don't ever look beyond and forget that. That as you do it, you're doing it unto him. Don't forget that. And so what does that mean? Then you have to be the best worker. You do it and you do it well. Do a good job for him. So don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. We're, we talked about music. You know, we can go on and on. But I want you to think for a moment. Just take a moment. What are some things? Maybe there's an area in your life where you've just been copy and pasting. Hopefully, if you're a student, that's not for your paper and (laughs) the plagiarism part, right? But that you're here. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And I believe, I know we have some businessmen, some entrepreneurial people here. And when I say men, it's just the commenter. So men and women, I'll be politically correct that you're gifted you're wired in a special way that you 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 have an idea but you already see a b c d all the way to how this could work that's god's anointing on your life that's god's gifting on your on your life tap into who he is and uh, and allow him to speak and to be creative in you and through you that his kingdom would be released in your special area in your special gifting. And I know that as you're faithful, God's going to bless that. God's going to bless that. But if all we do is copy and then paste what the world has already done, you're going to get lost in the noise. And when God has called you to stand out and to be different. You weren't born to fit in. You were born to stand out. First Peter 2 verse 9 says... But you are not like that, like what? Like the world. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Come on, somebody. You can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. He called you out of darkness. And into his wonderful light. So as I go to work tomorrow morning, I can show the goodness of God to my coworkers. As I go to school tomorrow, I get to show the goodness of God to my friends and my classmates. My teachers too. That we can be the difference wherever we go. We were not born to fit in. We're born to stand out. And God is calling some of us to get out of our comfort zone. And to step into a place where you know he's calling and he's leading you, but you've just been too reserved or too careful or too concerned. Today, whoever you are, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in a specific way that it's time for you to step out of the boat. You know, the boat represents comfort. And you know the story where where Jesus sees uh, Peter sees Jesus on the water, and then Jesus says, come, and the interesting thing is, he didn't just say, Come, Peter. He said, Come. So, I mean, any of the disciples could have taken that as, This is for me. I'm getting out too. But only Peter came forward and Peter walked on the water. Now, we might laugh because, you know, that story, and he's saying, Well, he did sink, Pastor John. You know, like, don't forget what happened. And then he had to reach out and Jesus helped him, you know, to safety. But the reality is, he's the only disciple that can say, guys, I'm the only one that walked on the water with Jesus. None of you did. And I say that because it excites me. And I pray that it excites you that, hey, we the first step, we might get it right. The second step, we might be off axis just a little bit. But the beauty is, that we can always get back on the right path. You'll never know until you take that first step of faith. But as God is calling us as a church, listen, salt and light is more than just a conference. It's more than that. This is a launch pad for your life, for what God's plan is for your life, that you need to own up to the responsibility of being an influencer in the kingdom of God. We're not looking for followers. There's a season, we know, to be disciples, to learn, to grow. Jesus had his disciples. But there came the season where he's like, you go now. I release you. I lay my hands on you and I say, go do what you've seen me do. You will do. And you know what Jesus says? Greater work shall you do. Yeah. But unless we own up to it and count ourselves a part of the church of Jesus Christ, we're not going to think it's our mandate or our responsibility. So friend, don't exclude yourself from what God has called you to do. Don't don't think, well, someone else will do it. If God has called you and you're a believer, you have a role to play in the kingdom of God. Can somebody say amen? Yeah. You know, um, we're going to lead into... Uh, a time of prayer and fasting. And the way I want to close this is we have two big things that we are getting ready for. Number one is the federal election, number one. And then number two is Salt and Light Conference. And what I want to call the church to is to come around a time of prayer and fasting. And it's going to be a little different than the kind we do in January, where we do it corporately and we gather for nights of prayer. Um, We're going to end things off right before the conference on the 23rd. It's a Wednesday night um, For with prayer here at the church. Everyone who's serving already knows about this. Uh, we really want to go into that season in prayer, but the same for our federal election, that we understand scripture tells us that we are to pray for those put in authority over us. And basically, I'm just inviting you as an individual to fast and pray. Um, how that looks like in your context, I'll leave that up to you. Um, some of you, it might be on your lunch hour, and you're going to commit, uh, you know, say every Monday for the next three weeks. Some of you, you you're, you can do more, and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to do one day a week. Some of you might say, you know what, I'm going to do uh, every lunch for for two weeks or for one week. However you feel led by the Spirit of God Fast and pray. That's the importance. What are we doing? We are setting aside a block of time to say, God, I'm here to meet with you. We could have you sign up on paper. But to be honest, we've had that in the past and, and people still have done it or did not do it. And it becomes semantics at that point. What I believe is really the essence is our heart. What Where are we in this? You know, God's not waiting... You committed for uh, Monday at lunch, and you missed it. Shame on you. I don't think God is like that. But but we have to be like, God, I missed this. I said I was going to do it. I'm going to make it up. And, and how you do that, just do it. And so when we say fast, I'm looking beyond just like, I'm going to not watch TV for, for a couple of nights. But then, you know, there's the hockey game on Wednesday nights. So I'm just going to make sure that my fast fits like that. Now I'm saying, come on. If we really believe that this matters, that that we want God's way and will for our country and our nation, as we fast and pray, it's for conference, but it's for our country as well. Why? Well, we're, we're called to influence. I have a cousin in politics. He's visited our church before, and he's been interviewed on TV asking for opinions, all that. I'm like, Lord, I pray that you would just Even as he's been in our church, that you would speak and and move in his heart and in his life. Pray for our our politicians. We had a man show up last Sunday after church. Maybe he was looking for for support or anything. I said, listen, uh, you're not going to stand up here before our church. like We have a specific purpose of why we gather. But I said, on the Sunday night, we're going to be praying, just so you know. And he said, could I come? I think he has a, a Muslim background. I said, you can come. I won't give you the mic. But I said, we're going to lead and, and we're going to pray. So we're going to pray that God's will is going to be done in this nation. And and I believe this. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. But I believe we need to be informed. And you could do that yourself. You can. There's enough resources online that you can figure out which party stands for what. Um, know what the word of God says. And know where you stand. And I'm going to say, you might say, well, I don't know how to vote anyways still after all of that then ask the holy spirit to guide you but we've been given an opportunity to vote and i would encourage as a church let your vote count yeah let your vote count show up but we don't want to just show up we're going to do it through prayer and fasting so that when we arrive at on the 21st when it's time to vote we know what we're doing Number 1, number 2, when conference is coming, we're not just showing up saying, "All right, God, show me show me what's up." We're coming hungry and expectant. We're coming hungry and expectant church. Listen, if you are just looking to play church, I'm going to say find another church. Go. I bless you. I release you to go. But we are here to make a difference because we don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. And so with that, I'm going to ask every single person to stand to your feet if you're able to this morning. Tonight we have Encounter Night, and I saved it for last because it's the response to this morning's message. Encounter Night. We're going to launch into a season of praying and fasting tonight. And we're honored that you're here on a Sunday morning. If you're a guest, you know, we're so grateful that you're here. We've said that already, and and I'm sincere when we say that. But tonight, we're coming to set time aside for God. It's a sacrifice in that, you know, there are so many other things you could probably have to do before Monday. You have to plan for your week. You have to maybe get the kids to bed, get lunch ready. I get, I get all of those things. But maybe one spouse stays home with the kids. Send the other spouse. Figure out how you can make, make it work. But we believe in this year that we've said we're going to put the first Sunday night of every month before us to come and say, God, here we are. Lord, it's more than just lip service. We're showing up. To show you where we stand. And Lord, we want you to move. I want to close by reading one scripture out of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 28, it talks about the blessings for obedience, but then the curses for disobedience. And I want to just read to you uh, what it says in Deuteronomy 28, verse 11 The Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children. "'numerous livestock and abundant crops. "'The Lord will send rain at the proper time "'from His rich treasury in the heavens "'and will bless all the work you do. "'You will lend to many nations, "'but you will never need to borrow from them. "'If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God "'that I'm giving you today, "'and if you carefully obey them, "'the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, "'and you will always be on top and never at the bottom.' You must not turn away from any of the commands I am giving you today, nor follow after other gods and worship them. Tying it into Daniel, he didn't, he didn't bow down. His friends didn't bow down, and he didn't give, give in to, even when it was against the law. But he obeyed the word of the Lord, and guess what? God made Daniel the head and not the tail. He was always above and not beneath. You see, it's not a prosperity gospel. It is the gospel. And that's the difference. The condition is there, though. There is a condition. It's not just name it and claim it, but it's if you will listen. And obey my commands. And the warning is this too. In the process, you must not turn away from the commands I'm giving you today. Nor follow after other gods and worship them. You were created to worship Him and Him alone. That's the path of blessing. The path of blessing is obedience. Here's the thing. And we're going to close with this. If man gives you a position, man can take it away. If God appoints you, no man could get in the way, and God has the final say. So know that God is positioning His church, not just you now, but His church across the world in a strategic way. That there's a call on the church today to be influencers, not copycats. To be influencers. At Weston, my conviction for our church is that we need to start leading the way for our city. We need to start leading the way. And maybe it won't be alone, but maybe it'll be united with other churches in our city. I don't know how God is going to move, but my conviction when I read God's word is that we need to lead our city. And that's what I think true revival is. When the glory of God is revealed, it doesn't stay in the four walls of a building But it changes the city when the glory of God is revealed. And that, my friend, is what I would say is revival. And when that begins to happen, we're going to see what God is going to do. And we will never be the same again. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I thank you this morning and this afternoon for the call on every single person that is here, Lord, as a believer. Lord, that we've heard the word. Lord, we understand the weight of the word, it's, it's weighty, it's serious. People's lives hang in the balance. And Father, I pray today that you would prepare our hearts for the full measure of, of what this means for us as a church. Lord, I thank you that we are not interested in games or in a social club where we just come and, and just see friends and, and drink coffee and then leave. We are here, Lord, for a divine impartation, That when we leave this place, we will go into the world and transform it by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the words of truth that are found in in your book, God, the Bible. Lord, I thank you that this is the mandate, not just on Weston, but every single church. Because Jesus is building the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And God, I thank you that we get to be a part of this. Lord, as we go now from this place, bring us safely back here tonight. Lord, we are hungry for a move of God. I pray that you would start a fire, Lord, inside our hearts, that we would never be the same again. And as a result, our world will neither. And so, God, we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.